In this video, I'm going to be going through 10 questions where I asked my Facebook group, what are you struggling with right now? And they gave me 10 things. I'm going to run through them one by one in this video. But the first thing I want to say to you is if you are not in my Facebook group, what are you doing? I'm going to drop a link below. Join my group. We have over a thousand people from across the world. Regular questions on safety and security, a great place to be in community. And I'll do my best to share my knowledge and wisdom with my private Facebook group. So if you're not a member, click that link below and join. But let's dive straight into these 10 questions. So remember, I said, what are you struggling with right now? And this is what my Facebook group said um, are the key questions they want some wisdom on. So let's dive into them one by one. So the first one then is getting enough volunteers for services. And this comes from Gregory, Phil, and Chuck. This is a challenge that all houses of worship across the country really struggle with is not getting enough volunteers. I read an article once and it said something like 98.9% .9 of churches in the country are run by volunteers. And I was like, only 98? Which is like 99.5 are run by volunteers. So we are working with a volunteer um, workforce. So what, what does that mean? It's going to be difficult to train. It's going to be difficult for people to have the time. But I say follow the Jesus model. And what was the Jesus model? He approached his disciples. Find those people in your communities that maybe have law enforcement backgrounds. They might have military background. They might have training in mental illness. But above all, but above all, they have a servant's heart. They see security as ministry. They have strong communication skills. They are prepared to pray over someone who is in need right here, right now. I'm going to lay my hands on someone and I'm going to pray on them. The ministry focused far outweighs the skill set because we can train the skill set. So I really say follow the Jesus model. Find those people in your community that have those attributes, which is going to make them successful. Communication skills, services ministry, uh, and willing to pray over other people. More often, you're going to be putting a Band-Aid on a young child than what you are using your firearm in a house of worship. So focus on approaching those individuals is the first part to my answer. I think the second thing that I would say is it's always a challenge to get the right number. So really focus on the people that you have those people that are dedicating their time, make sure they're well-trained, um, they feel appreciated, they feel valued. Um, I don't think you're ever going to get enough of volunteers because, as I said, that statistic says that most churches are pretty much all run by volunteers. I think statistically, um, most churches in the U.S. have less than 120 in their congregation, something like that. So we're talking about small, small churches. So approach them have a bit of grace, uh, find that sweet number, and always be asking, always be approaching other ministry teams. Do you know someone who might be a fit? Is there someone serving somewhere else where you say, actually, they might be a fit for the security ministry? So getting enough of volunteers is a challenge. But also remember that it's better to have a small, sort of um, small number of well-trained individuals than what it is having a, a high number of those individuals that might not see it as ministry, who don't follow your procedure, who don't come to training. So yes, I'm sure there's a sweet spot in your ministry, um, but don't be too concerned if you don't get there because focus on that small number. Three or four strong people 
is mostly worth the weight of 1520 but a sort of somewhat change so hopefully greg phil and chuck that has helped you in some way the next question and i like this one really feeds off what i just said consistent involvement from volunteers now as i record this video my younger son is at soccer practice my older son is at the golf course i'm here and trying to divide and conquer time so remembering that our staff most often most often are volunteers here's what i always say to, to leaders first off from the volunteers give them some grace using me as an example i'm a father I own three businesses, I have two sons in activities, and a wife that I need to spend time with. I'm challenged as to all my responsibilities on top of, I often forget I'm on the board of a 501c3 uh, nonprofit. Uh, so there's how I get involved in so many other things outside of my day-to-day -day work, my, my time is torn. So give someone like me some grace that I'm trying to do what I can to serve in this area. The second thing that I say is give yourself some grace. Don't put too much pressure on you to no one's coming to training or we have training. We've got 30 people on the team. We've got 30 staff and only five or six people are coming. Give yourself some grace. You are trying to find a training. You're trying to educate and keep the church safe. Don't put too much pressure on you. You're dealing with primarily volunteers that have a life outside of security ministry. So give yourself some grace and give them some grace. What I often say to this question as well is that when you're recruiting individuals for your safety team, it's really important to also outline your expectations. So it could be, Simon, do you have time to commit to the safety team? I know you're a busy father. I know you're an entrepreneur. Uh, I know your kids are in activities. I know you want to worship on Sunday. I know you're on the board of a nonprofit. I know you need to spend time with your wife. Can you really give the commitment what we need? Or tell Simon, what is that commitment? So I can then look at it and say, actually, Jim, I, I can't give you eight hours a week or eight hours a month or whatever it might be, two hours a month, but, but I can give you like one service. Would, would, would that help you to use my skills for, for one service? So make sure whatever your onboarding looks like, is that you have an open and honest dialogue with people so they know what the expectation is. Often, not always, but often when I hear this question about inconsistency from staff or volunteers, I will say, well, did you say to Simon what the expectation was when you onboarded him? And most often, most often the answer is no. So I don't know what the onboarding looks like at your house of worship, but when someone joins your team, make it very clear to them and what happens if you do this, and we have this at my own church, if you do this, most often people will step aside and say, Jim, I would love to volunteer my time right now. However, this is an area where I can serve you, and I feel like I need to step back because I don't have the time and commitment to give. Exactly the same with my church safety team. For the last few years, I've acted more as an advisory role, reviewing policy and procedure, working alongside our security director because I'm at a large mega church. I don't have the time like I used to to walk the floors and act as safety and security. However, I can give my expertise by looking at some documents, helping review some things, planning a tabletop, whatever it is. Um, and I can be honest and say, based off the, the need and the commitment of my church, 
I can't do that. However, there's other things that I can do. So I think by being transparent from the beginning, what your need is, you'll find that people will come to you and say, actually, I don't feel I can give you that consistency, but can I serve in another way? So hopefully, Angelo, that has helped in some way, but the consistency, be transparent, um, tell them what the commitment is, and that will also open the door for more um, more transparent dialogue as to where the person is and, and really dive deep as to what is causing the lack of consistency in your security ministry. So the next question we have from Charles Scott, this is a great one, recruiting young protectors. Now, I know the guys on my safety team watch my YouTube videos. So I've got to be very careful what I say here, but Charles is right. A lot of safety teams from House of Worship and those involved in security tend to be more mature in years. So did I, did I say that in a, in a nice way to people? They tend to be more mature in years. However, I think the answer just ties into those other previous questions. Why is it that most people that volunteer in security ministry tend to be more elder in years? And I think the reason is because of fathers like me, because of the next generation, we're busy with kids' activities. We're busy with work. I think we've, we're just busy, busy being people. I don't think we've ever lived in a world where people have so much going on in, in their lives. And you know, we're not going to get into COVID and what happened there, but it caused a bit of a drift from, from the church, particularly in the, in the younger generation. We've got to get people back into church. But I don't want to, don't want to digress. But in relation to recruiting young protectors, when I was at Mall of America, and I used to oversee the behavior detection team. We used to be, we used to struggle with recruitment. One of the reasons being, before George Floyd and the race and reconciliation and troubles here in 2020, um, Mall of America was a feeding ground for all those law enforcement agencies. For the reason, we used to train them in behavior detection. We used to train them in conversational interviewing. Um, they were as good as police officers patrolling one of the arguably the, uh, the largest open public venue in the U.S., more America, 42 million visitors per year, 7 million square feet, trained in Krav Maga. Is that not a great feeding ground for police departments? However, we know it, we know it since changed. So, but here's my point on that. When we were there, we used to lo lose officers. And we said, well, well, what can we do to change? And we had to move and diversify our model from hey, you're required to do 40 hours a week, but can we find someone that can give us 5, 10, 15, 20 hours so they can still receive the same level of training and we'll still hold them to the same standards. However, let's be flexible to make sure that when people leave for these police departments, we have the consistency and the numbers to keep more of America safe. So I think in relation to recruiting young protectors, Charles, I think this is very similar to the questions that I've asked before is, look at your security ministry. Is there a way where you can be more flexible? If perhaps you say you're required to do four services, can you say to the younger generation, you need to do one? Can you say to them, whatever you can give us, Simon, you're a servant police officer, you're retired military, you work in security, I know you have all these skills, but you're saying you don't have the commitment. Can you be flexible in your approach to recruit younger generation. Remember, many fathers like me, as I record this now, my youngest son is at soccer practice, my eldest son is at the golf course, 
I'm here recording this video and my wife is trying to juggle between the two. Young people in today's world have really busy lives. And I think that is one of the reasons, but it's a real struggle to recruit young protectors because there's so much stuff going on in our lives. So I would ask you, Charles, to look at it in a different way and find the flexibility that you might have in the program. Remember I said earlier, one, two, three, four, five, Highly trained individuals is better than having 15, 20. So if someone is law enforcement, retired, military, has all the skills and attributes, ministry mindset, um, good communicator, can pray with someone, I'm going to take that person. If they say, Simon, I can give you three to four hours a month, that's great. Come to training, be trained, dive in. So I think, Charles, that's what I would say there to recruiting young protectors is make sure there's flexibility in your program. Uh, so the next question then comes from Elwood Grant. He says, the heart and posture of the security members, pastors, leaders, staff, and volunteers, getting them to understand the basis behind having security. This is a great question. Elwood, when I see this question, and I think I've got it behind me somewhere, when I see this question, this is a cultural question. I'll say that again. This is a cultural question. When I wrote my book, securing church operations, the first step, the first step in creating your safety and security program is understanding your security culture and then creating a strong security culture. Everyone in your house of worship has to be involved in safety and security. You need everyone's buy-in. So when I see that um, posture of security members, pastors, leaders, getting them to understand the basis of having security, it means there would that your security culture might not be aligned. And actually. In my latest book, How to Talk with Your Leader About Church Security, I'll drop a link to this below. I actually spoke about this in my research, um, about ways and strategies to get security leaders to build that bridge between religious leaders. And one of the things that they spoke about was relationship equity, making sure that you have a strong relationship with your pastors and leaders. So when you're telling them about security things, you have that um, common understanding. They won't always agree with everything that you say, but they know where you're coming from and they'll come up with open ears to listen to your problems. So make sure you've got relationship equity. But I think Edward here, great question, but we've got to work on our church security culture. Um, what I also have is weekly crime trends that go out. Um, it goes in the Facebook group every Friday, Monday, it goes out to the mailing list, and we summarize the previous week crimes in sex crimes, homicides, embezzlement, I think financial crimes. Each different type of crime is broken down into a section which goes out as a PDF every Monday to our mailing list. A lot of people use that document to send it to their leaders to say, hey, you think this might not happen here? However, this is happening in our state, in our city, or across the US. So it's a great way to um, soften their heart by sending them this document to say, hey, these are real threats. These are real risks. These things are happening to churches across the US. So you might want to take a look at this. So if you're not on that mailing list, um, in the comments below, um, drop crime, and then we will pick that up, and then we will add you to our mailing list. We'll reach out to you and then get that added there. So. Um, the heart and pastor security members, getting them to understand the basis behind having security. That's a cultural problem. We need to make sure we sit down 
leadership teams, ministry teams, talk to them about their, their concerns, find out where they're at. And like I said, in my book, How to Talk to a Leader About Church Security, there's so many strategies in there which are going to help you. So, Elwood, hopefully I've given you enough there to stew over. The next question from Lara Wood is a great one as well. I love this question. Balancing the need for security with the desire to be open and welcoming. I'm not going to name the church, but I work with arguably the third or fourth largest church in the US. Massive, massive, massive. Uh, Multiple campuses, more than 10 campuses. To get inside their church during the week, you have a press a buzzer, it goes to an intercom, it goes to a camera, and someone says, welcome to dot, dot, dot church. How can we help you today? I'm here to see Sheila in finance. Great, there's a meeting. Buzz door opens and in you go. They would say, and I would agree, that they are an open door church. However, however, they just choose to lock their doors knowing that open door doesn't mean you have full reign to our church property. So the question here is, what does a church open door mean to you? I have another busy downtown church in California, a Catholic church, where they get a lot of tourists and visitors. They do not want to shut any of their doors. They want to keep all their doors open because everyone is always welcome in this Catholic church in California. So their view of church open door is different than what my mega church said. Both of those are acceptable because they're churches and both have the mindset that they're a church. They're here to lead people closer to the Lord. Um, they believe that there's no sin that our God cannot forgive, but they just see church open door in a different way. So balancing the need for me, <clears throat> excuse me, is about understanding what does church open door mean and then educating slowly opening the hearts, warming the hearts, and say, we have 14 or 15 entrances. For safety and security, can we close some of those entrances down, but perhaps have someone on our front desk that every person that walks in can be greeted? Good morning. Welcome to Westwood Community Church. What brings you here today? Big smile on the face. You know, that person can still be welcomed. At the same time, at the same time, that person on the front desk can find out why they're here, do a basic behavior profile of their behaviors to see um, is there anything um, strange or unusual outside of baseline of a church? Who are they here to see and welcome and greet them? If they can do all those things, they're still an open door church. However, they are being funneled to a door where someone is sat. So I think what's a great way to sell this, and I've done this before, Lara, a great way to sell this is to say to people right now, we don't know who's in our building because we've got five or six entrances during the day. No one feels welcome because they're not being greeted by someone. Can we look at the problem in a different way? Can we close down some entrances, funnel them through a certain entrance where they can be greeted, where they can be smiled at, where someone can say, how can I help you? How can I lead you closer to the Lord? So what I found successful, Lara, is look at this problem in a different way and try and say, can we close these down for security? However, our ministry is going to go through the roof because every person that walks in is going to be greeted as opposed to right now walking in the church and not knowing where to go. So 
It is a challenge, Lara, balancing the need for security with the desire to be open. Um, warm their hearts, consider closing the doors down. And when you close the doors down, sell it as we're going to be doing more ministry because they're going to be greeted. Every person who walks in our church is going to be greeted by someone on that front desk or an ushering greeter who's going to say, hello, welcome to Westwood Community Church. What great ministry is that? So the next question we have then from John Phelps is gaining pastoral support involvement. And again, I'm going to have to come back to my new book. A lot of these questions in there, how to talk to your leader about church security. John, this is what many leaders said to me. So for that book, I interviewed around 25 pastors, religious leaders, executive pastors, et cetera, et cetera. And here is what they said to me. And I found this fascinating. I asked each of them, because it always comes up, the firearms question about do we, how does someone raise the question of firearms to you in a house of worship? And they said, Simon, it's easy. The answer is yes. And I was taken back for a moment. I thought, well, that goes outside 99.9% of the conversations I have with security leaders from across the U.S., where they're saying that my pastor doesn't want firearms or he shuts down the conversation or we're not doing enough. Um, and here's what they said. And it seems simple, but highly effective. Here's what he said to me. They said, Simon, most often we don't get taken along on the journey. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, people come to us with the firearms question and they say, you're not doing enough, or we're not doing enough, or what if this happens here, what are we going to do? And they said, yes, there's the risk, but it's highly unlikely. And I said, bring us along for the journey. And here's what they all said. They said, if you say to us, well, Simon, if someone twists their ankle, if someone falls and hurts themselves, for me on the safety team, what would you want me to do? Well, the pastor is responsible. I would want you to minister that person and help them. That's great. I've received no medical training. Can we find some and the church pay for it? Or do I need to pay for it out of my own money? If someone has a heart attack during the service or a stroke, Pastor Simon what would you want us to do? Well, I would want you to continue to minister that person. Well, what does that look like? Well, we'd need an AED because I'm not medically trained. Okay, well, let's get an AED. So in all these questions, they said, take us along on the journey. Well, pastor, if a child goes missing, is lost, what would you want us to do? I want to rally the people, find the child, reunite them with the family. And so they took me through all these questions, and eventually they then said, well, Pastor, if there's an active assailant that comes to our church and tries to take human life, what would you want us to do? Would you want us to stand in the corner and be murdered and killed, or would you want us to take action? They said, Simon, we would want you to take action. That is great. Let's have a conversation about who needs to be trained. Let's have a conversation about the qualification standards that we need, and let's talk about who are those best people. So, John, that's a long way to answer, but what they really said was, take them along for the journey. Don't start at the end and say, you're not doing enough. We as a church are not doing enough. If there's an active shooter, 
take them to those steps that they do understand medical. There's a protester pastor stood in front of you during your service. Do you want to just keep talking to him and try and de-escalate him? Or do you want us him to remove him and then minister him later? Well, there's no way I'm going to be able to minister to him if he's arguing with me during the service. We're going to need him to be removed. Bless great. Let's talk about what that process looks like. So take them along for this journey on the very basic stuff, and then you'll get their involvement. And the other key thing, I mentioned this in one of my other answers, is making sure you have that relationship equity. It might not be you. Whoever is closest to your pastor, your leader, make sure you build relationship equity so they, they would always listen. And here's a, here's a real-life story. So my executive pastor at our church, recently I took him out for Indian food. We spoke about our families. Uh, seven years ago now, I gave my faith story at the church. Um, I donate my time in the security ministry. I've donated my time in church programs, onboarding. I'm always available to, to help the church. I've always had a strong relationship equity. So when I reach out and say, I feel like we need to review this area, they don't say, Simon, no, that's a silly idea or laugh. They are always open to listen because I have that relationship equity. So there's two ways there, John, that you can try and gain their support is bring them along for the journey, start at step one, and then second, make sure you have that relationship equity so you can have that conversation. You know the names of their kids. They know the names of your kids. They know where you live. They know your hobbies and interests. Make sure you have a strong relationship before you go in and ask these questions. So John, hoping that that has helped you in some way. Great question. How do you gain support involvement from your religious leader? The next question then we have from Chuck Rogers. Safety team members to grasp the ministry aspect of the position. We can't have a SWAT team mindset all the time. Absolutely, Chuck. So there are sometimes sometimes when we might need the so okay, Chuck, if I re rephrase the SWAT mindset to law enforcement mindset or military, we need to get a personnel. I just mentioned this, but if someone is protesting your pastor during his sermon, they're shouting and screaming, highly unlikely, highly unlikely you're going to have to defuse that situation with them that stood in that moment. So occasionally, we've got to be a bit more assertive and we've got to remove that person from the service and then minister to them later. So there is sometimes a need for that SWAT team mindset. And again, um, conflict, physical conflict, active assailant, we need that. However, most of the time, this is security ministry. So John, I should, or Chuck, sorry, I should most probably have grouped this with the other questions about the safety team. This is making sure when you recruit, you have some type of handbook and in your onboarding, you're saying this is the role of security ministry. You are security. However, you're going to greet people. You're going to shake their hands. You're going to kiss babies. You're going to welcome them to a church to make sure that they feel warm, fuzzy, and valued. However, when danger presents itself, you're going to step in and you're going to remove that danger, whatever it may look like. So you need people that are composed, know that this is a ministry, prepared to pray for people. However, they're ready to take aim and respond when need be. So if you've got a safety team member, who is failing to grasp the aspect of the position. One, look at your recruitment and what you're saying to them. And second, this is still the challenge. Even though they're volunteers, 
if you are a safety team leader, a business administrator, a facilities director, a director of operations, you are still managing that person. There is no greater time to lean into that challenging conversation other than the moment. That is strong leadership. Don't let these problems fester. If you can see someone is not a good fit, you've got to have a conversation with them and say, Simon, I think there's another area in the church that you might want to serve because this isn't working out for one, two, three, four, five reasons. Do not wait. So safety team members, look at your onboarding, look at your handbook. What are you telling them? Make sure you're keeping the right uh, mindset. And if you see that out against it, Chuck, you've got to say, you've got to approach them and say, maybe this isn't a fit for you. As in, you can't not serve on the safety team. Maybe there's another area for them to search. Do you have a dispatch? That's becoming very common, Chuck, in House of Worship, that someone's in front of a cameras, one microphone is controlling the traffic. That's a great um, a great way to, to run your safety team. Maybe they can serve there. Maybe they can just be the eyes and ears on the door and escalating. So it might not be a no, you're kicked off the team. It could maybe could be Chuck. No, you can't serve there. Let's find a different way. But security is a ministry. And we, we've got to be confident in our leadership and say, this isn't working out because it could be for a detriment of the reputation of a church or the actions that individual takes. So if they don't understand it, revisit your onboarding, revisit your handbook, uh, make sure you're telling people what the expectations are, holding them to the standards. So the next question we have from Mike Harville is getting team members to understand the importance of training. Many don't want to attend the training classes. I think, Mike, this is a combination of a few things that I've said giving yourself some grace, you're overseeing a team of volunteers, giving the volunteers some grace because they are uh, tirelessly giving their time, knowing they have other things. But at the same time, you do need to maintain that training standards. In particular, if you're a house of worship that trains on firearms, you do need to make sure that there's a constant qualification and there's a constant assessment of skills. So I would encourage you to, Mike, what are those things that you can forgive? And what are those things which are absolutes? I would imagine if someone is carrying a firearm in your house of worship, an absolute would be, you need to come to the firearm training when we hosted it at the church. Or an absolute would be, you need to make sure that you're maintaining the certain um, shooting standard to be eligible to file, um, to fire, sorry, to, and to be on our team. And that would be an absolute. It may be if someone's got their basic life safety, they've done the AED training, and you call for it three or four times a year, they've done it once a year. Um, you know, Do they need to keep doing that once a quarter? It would be nice. However, it might not be an absolute. So, Mike, give yourself some grace. Give them some grace. Look at your training program and say, where are the absolutes here? And then where can we give some grace? And what I always say, and I've said this in one of my other answers, is understand the root cause as well. So when people don't attend training, one of the reasons why I created the Worship Security Academy, which owns this YouTube channel and created online courses, is that some people, using myself again as an example, can struggle with the commitment on the safety team. Doesn't mean I'm not dedicated, but it means I can struggle with the commitment. So when you look at the start of training, Firearms, let's remove that, has to be in person. But are there other trainings that you can do? 
could you send them to my worship security academy to do an online training so that they can do threat detection online, get their qualification. You just lost my question there. Um, get their qualification um, and do the training in different ways. They can do it when they're at home or when they're at their son's soccer practice or when they're on the bus. So also look at different ways, but really get to the root cause. What, what is the root cause as to why many aren't attending the training? Make sure you are addressing that. It could just be time and commitment. And I imagine on my Worship Security Academy, I imagine there's training courses that you can push to them and then they have to go through a short test and there's a certification a certificate of completion at the end. And then you can manage that. So have you gone through Simon's threat detection training? Have you gone through Simon's conflict escalation training? Have you gone through Simon's active assailant training? If the answer is yes, give me your certificate to show that you've done it. And you could give them one, two, three weeks a month to complete those courses. So get to the root cause, look at training in a different way and making sure you're giving yourself some grace. A greater question here from James Frazier, dealing with people asked to leave the safety team. So I touched this in the earlier question. You've got to be open. You've got to be transparent. The church's reputation and perhaps the safety of other individuals could be in danger or jeopardy if you don't deal with problematic people early. Um, I know leadership is challenging. I've been a director overseeing multiple managers where in the workplace there is always conflict, there are always troubles, as the scripture tells us, you will face trials and tribulations in this world, but you've got to deal with these problems early. So dealing with people that have been asked to leave, be transparent, explain the reason why, what is it that they've done wrong, Give them, give them the chance to correct it. That is the fair thing to do. Identify where Simon is struggling. Give Simon the opportunity to correct it. Give him a timeline to correct it and change. And then if he cannot change, you can say to him, if you cannot correct this behavior, then you are needed to be, um, you're going to need to serve in another ministry. And again, it doesn't mean that we fully kick him off the team. Maybe there's a different role within either safety and security that they can serve, or maybe their skills can treat another ministry area. But you've got to identify the problem to Simon, create the roadmap to be successful, retraining, and then say you need to correct it by this timeline. If Simon cannot do it, then it's clear to him that you need to remove or be vacated from the scene. Now, how of course, there's some things where straight away you're saying this person's off the team and they're putting their firearm out or brandishing a firearm or a weapon. So something crazy. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about just someone being more um, security focused from what they are, security ministry focused. That would be a roadmap to, to take. So dealing with people asked to leave the safety team. James, early, early, early intervention. Be transparent. Retrain them. Set the timeline. If they can't correct the behavior in that timeline, they then know you're going to be asked to leave. That is what would be the fair process to do. So then the last question that we have, and I really like this question. I really like this question. And here's the reason why. Let's go back to this a second. Here's why I like this question. Houses of worship should have a part of a service that talks about current events 
and it could address safety tips for the home. This came from Pat. In my book, I'm going to go to it again. It's the third time now. You know, sorry about a shameless plug. I reviewed 50 pieces of scripture between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When many people proofread the book, they loved it. They said, Simon, you should write a book just on scripture. And I said, maybe that's a, another year project, but a good, good suggestion. Now, from four or five years old, I've been a Christian. There's times for sure, maybe you can relate to this, when I've been closer to God. And there's times when I've been distant and haven't been going to church as I should. However, I have never heard of a pastor or religious leader stand up and do a sermon on young females going to college and the need to stay safe. I've never heard a minister stand up and say how um, social media is affecting our children and the dangers of it and the need to stay safe. And why is this? And I don't know. I've asked many pastors. I've never really received an answer, but I summarized over 50 pieces of scripture as they relate to safety and security. And I know there's many more, but for some other reason, they never get mentioned in church. And here's what I did in my book is I wrote the scripture. I then said synopsis and relevance to safety. And then I said, how will this scripture help you? So I don't know what the answer is, Pat, but it is very true that ministers, although there's so much safety and security in the New and Old Testament, they don't tend to use it in their sermons. And, and I don't know what the answer is, Pat, but here's what I would say to this question. Great question. Ask your minister and say, when there's so much hurt and brokenness in the world, is there a way that you could do a sermon around safety and security? I mean, most churches on a Wednesday have their youth ministry. I mean, what are the dangers to our kids? Jesus said, let the children come to me. I mean, we know how much Jesus loves the young children. It would seem logical to me a minister might want to do it, but they never do, Pat. So love your views and opinions below. Have you ever come across a church that has done a sermon series on safety and security? Or why, why do you think ministers tend to steer clear of it? So those were the questions. There's 10 questions there. But my Facebook group said, hey, Simon, these are areas and questions that we've got right now. And again, if you're not a member of my Facebook group, I'm going to drop a link below. Like I said, we have over a thousand people in there where we have regular discussions. The crime trends that I mentioned also get dropped into a group every Friday, and then it goes to the mailing list on the Monday. So just before we end, let's go here a second to the screen. I want to tell you of a product that we have that might help you these decision decks. So we now have six different decks. Each have a different theme around safety and security. And there are simple scenarios which you read, and a lot of people either tend to ask them one-on-one -on -one or one to a group as a safety team or to church members, and they'll say, where to find out where are they? And as an example, this card I've just got, I've got a threat detection deck in my hand. This card says a churchgoer fears their ex who has a history of stalking might come to a church to harass them. How will you assess and manage the threat? I'm not going to put you on the spot now, but how would you answer that? Here's another question we have here. A church member involved in anti-abortion activities receives threats against their family. How will you assess and manage the threat? So each different deck has a series of 60 scenarios 
And like I said, people ask for them one-to-one, one-to-many. I recently received an email from a security leader that says, hey, Simon, I use these decks to ask new people who might join the team to see where they are. So they're great for critical thinking, judgment. And believe me, between these decks, knowing that each deck has 60 in there, you will find gaps and holes within your program as to, hey, we don't really have anything that covers this area. What can we do to stay safe? So I'm going to drop a link below to those decision decks. They're only available on Amazon. I would love for you to pick one up. And then when you do, and if you, I know that they're going to be of value to your ministries, please reach out. I love to see pictures and videos of safety teams using these decision decks. Now, as always, I answered 10 questions there in a Q&A style. Uh, what are your views on opinions on those questions? Um, I believe all conversation is health, healthy conversation. So what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? What resonates with you? Or perhaps what question from these 10 are you also struggling with your house of worship? Drop a comment below. I would love to see um, where you are in your security ministry. But as always, you stay safe. You have a blessed day. And I'll see you in the next video. Take care, everybody.